This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Um, welcome, good morning, a uh, particular welcome to you if you're new or if you're visiting, if I've not met you, my name is Steve and it's a real pleasure to have you guys here with us this morning. Uh, so Tom said already we are um, doing a series on the Lord's Prayer at the moment, this is week two on it, and the Lord's Prayer, if you don't know, uh, is the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he was really good at praying Jesus, he was really close to the Father, and his disciples after one praying session came to him and said, Lord teach us to pray, and he said, this is how you pray, and gave them some basic instruction, that's what we're going through at the moment. And I say if you don't know the Lord's Prayer, but the chances are you do know the Lord's Prayer, because probably you said it in assembly or church growing up, uh, and in fact why don't, we, why don't we just check that, why don't we just put that to the test, why don't we all just say the Lord's Prayer together to begin with. The Lord's Prayer. Lord, alright Tom, it's <laughs> always one, Tom's in the holiday zone. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh, <laughs> trespasses, sins, debts. But deliver us from evil. There you go. Well done to those people who didn't include that last bit, which isn't actually in the Bible, but is included in the common prayer book. But there you go. Learn something new every day. Um, so we all know it, right? There we go. Nothing wrong with a bit of rope. You know it. But it's kind of like one of those things that you know, but you might not necessarily like really know or understand. So it's a little bit like when you know, um, you've been singing the lyrics to a song for a while, and then you suddenly find out normally in a public sphere that you've got the lyrics wrong, and it's normally quite humiliating. So Joe, when she was growing up, Thanks, Joe. I couldn't think of any stories for myself with this because I just don't have any embarrassing stories. Um, she and her, uh, her siblings used to listen to Phil Collins, which obviously is quite embarrassing in and of itself. Um, but there was that song, Another Day With You in Paradise, where he goes, oh, think twice. I was going to sing it. Oh, think twice. Oh, think twice. Just another day for you and me in paradise. And, um, but rather than think twice, they used to think it was in swice. So they used to sing, oh, in swice, which isn't even a word. Admittedly, Joe, and they are Polish, so it's their second language, so not quite as bad as it could have been. But it's a little bit like that sometimes. It's like when you know something, but you don't really know it. And I think our verses today that we're looking at are a little bit like that. So last week, Stan started the series, and he preached about our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And this week, we're looking at your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And actually, it's crucial for us to understand this. Prayer is a really crucial part of our faith. If you, if you don't know God, if you, if you don't have a relationship with him, this is the way that we communicate with him and the way that he communicates with us. And the fact that Jesus has given us just a few pointers about how we pray, and there weren't that many of them he said in there, it's really crucial we get hold of that so we can actually pray that stuff ourselves. So that's what we're going to be looking at. And I feel like this morning, my job 
as a preacher on this topic is to try and quicken your spirits this morning about this, is to get excited about the idea of the kingdom. And I don't want that to be in an artificial way. You know, I can speak, I will speak fast, I just can't help myself. Um, and I'll uh, get into it kind of thing. And it can be artificial, but there's a real genuine excitement. But I feel like your job today is to allow your spirits to be quickened as well. Don't just think I've heard this before. Don't just switch off. Don't just think he speaks really fast. Um, don't do any of that. So we're going to look at this in two parts. We're going to look at God's kingdom and God's will. So what is the kingdom? Uh, well, we're told in the Bible that when Jesus starts his ministry, his ministry was a three-year period of time where he went around preaching, teaching, uh, healing the sick, casting out demons, bringing life. And right at the start of that three-year uh, three period, we're told um, that he went to an area called Galilee and he started saying, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is near. So clearly, it's important that... Uh, Sorry, just checking by the right one up there. Clearly, it's important that the kingdom is at the centre of what Jesus brings. We might think like we know what Jesus' ministry was about, but actually the kingdom was very much at the centre of it. So what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, there are lots of different synonyms, uh, different words that are used for it in the Bible. So it's sometimes referred to as the kingdom of heaven, sometimes as the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of our Lord, the kingdom of our Father, um, my kingdom. It's all. uh, I'll be using it interchangeably, but it basically means the same thing. Uh, I, I wanted to start with a couple of quotes on exactly on what people think it, it does mean. So I've got one from a guy called George Beasley Murray. And he says that the kingdom of God in the Bible means God exercising his sovereign power and judgment and salvation. God exercising his power in judgment and salvation, which is, which is okay. And then I've got another one from Bill Johnson, uh, who splits the word in two. I don't think this is actually where the word comes from, but kingdom, kingdom, the domain of the king, the domain of the king. Okay, so we've got that, but what does that actually mean? I think it's easy for us to get a little bit het up about what we think the kingdom of God is. You might have heard various preachings on it. You might think that it's related to this certain area of our faith, but not the areas of our faith. If you've read a bit about the kingdom in the Bible, you might be aware that sometimes we're told that the kingdom of heaven is here, sometimes it's near, and sometimes it's yet to come. And we'll touch on that in a bit. But if you do feel like initially when you think about the kingdom, you've got some confusion there, why don't you start by remembering that you do actually know what a kingdom is. Okay, so if a child was to ask you what is a kingdom, you'd probably, I mean, you'd give a variation of words, but you'd say something along the lines of, um, it's like a country or an area that a king rules over. Our king is Jesus, so it's his kingdom. If you don't know Jesus yet or don't know him very well, that's one of the basics of our faith. We have a king, his name is Jesus, and he's unlike any other king that you've heard of, which, again, we'll touch on that in a bit as well. But there's a problem with that, because even though you might understand kingdom, because you know the word kingdom, I think we do have some baggage with that. So there are only, um, there are only 27 kingdoms left in the world. Apparently, we're actually in one right now, the United Kingdom. We have a monarch, the queen. Um, but the tricky thing is, is that they feel a bit unfashionable. So in our, almost in our society, there's quite a move. That, like A lot of people don't like the monarchy. A lot of people don't like the idea of it. There are only 27 left. It feels like... Um, People are kind of anti it. If you speak to people about kingdom, it's like, I do know what kingdoms are, but actually what I relate to with that is kind of, I think of like the medieval ages or um, kind of like I think of a king like bringing like a warring faction and like taking territory from another king. I think of war. Or when I think about it, for my, what it might mean for like a subject of a kingdom, I think of people who were subjected under authority. And I don't really like the idea of being subjected to authority. Who made you king? Anyway, I don't want to be in a kingdom where there's a king over it. So we've got this kind of idea of it being... Uh, us submitting and we don't like that we've got this idea of it being violent and sometimes we we feel like it's a bit irrelevant as well so as i say there's only 27 left uh in the world um i think in some kingdoms in the world so saudi arabia is a kingdom the king has quite a big say 
um, in, in the lives of the citizens of that kingdom. But in our kingdom, the queen, the queen doesn't really do that. Um, I don't really know. Well, no one really knows what the queen does anymore. She just goes around and attends things. Who knows what's going to happen next? So it feels a little bit irrelevant to us. Like, she doesn't govern our lives. So what, what impact does the kingdom have as well? And it might be that, actually, even if we did have a kingdom where um, our monarch was involved in our lives, you might just not be very interested in it. You might feel like the kingdom just sounds like the governance, kind of like the way that the organisation works. It might be like, oh, you know, like when a general election comes, yeah, I'll vote for someone because, like, I like what that person stands for. I like how he looks or I, doesn't like how, I don't like how that person talks. But if you were to, you know, do you really get into it when the general election's on? Are you thinking like, oh, we should have proportional representation and, you know, I'm really interested in the fact that we've got a bicameral parliament and stuff like that. No, politics just isn't my bag. I'm just not very interested in the governance. So that might bring up those kind of feelings as well when you think about the kingdom. But here's where our kingdom differs from the kingdoms of the world. Ours is one of experience. Okay, the kingdom we're in, the United Kingdom, covers a geographical area. But it's not really one of experience. It's not really one of activity. If someone was to come in today and they live somewhere else, they live in one of the many nations that doesn't have a kingdom in the world, and they said, oh, hey, you live in a kingdom, don't you? What's your experience like of living in a kingdom? You'd be like, um, well, I, what? I don't, you know, how do you answer that? I don't, I don't even know how to answer that, and I wrote this. Um, but the kingdom of God is one of experience. Imagine if Queen Elizabeth came around your house one day and then someone said after that, like, What's it like living in a kingdom? You're like, it's great, I saw the queen. Or imagine if her kingdom was about her going around everybody's house every week and she knew what was going on in your life. Like, that's what it's like being in a kingdom. Or imagine if she came around your house one week and she said, how are you doing? And you said, actually, I'm not doing very well. I'm really struggling to make ends meet financially. And she said, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to give you some money because that's what my kingdom is about. That is an experiential kingdom. That's about experience. That's about activity rather than just this kind of arbitrary area. And that's what our kingdom is like. So let's look at what Jesus says. I used uh, the bit of scripture from Mark, but I'm going to use from Matthew now at the start of his uh, at the start of his ministry. We're told that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. The good news of the kingdom. So again, we like we hear that other stuff like do, what you know. What did Jesus do in his three years? Yeah, we know that he went around teaching. We know that he went around healing every disease and sickness among the people. But the kingdom was a central part of it as well. It wasn't like Jesus went into a town, taught. They were all amazed at the power of his teaching, healed the sick, cast out demons. They were all in, thought that was amazing. And then at the end, he was stood at the entrance when people were leaving. He's like, if anyone's interested in some further reading, I've got these pamphlets on how like the, the governance of my kingdom works. Kind of like organization Jesus incorporated. Take this. It's if you're really interested in that kind of stuff. It was central to what he brought. And because the kingdom of heaven is one of experience, it's one of Jesus coming into our lives rather than us being told that, by the way, you're in a kingdom, Queen Elizabeth is is at the head of that kingdom, the head of state. When we look at what Jesus brought in his life, we see the activities of the kingdom and we see what that kingdom is about. So what do we see from that? Well, we see... When Jesus came into people's lives and they were suffering from demonic oppression, when people had, it said when people had evil spirits, Jesus cast them out. He came and he said, the kingdom of heaven is near, and he cast demons out of people. When he came to people and they were struggling under sin and failure, he brought them forgiveness and assurance of love. That's the kingdom of heaven. When he came into towns and people were sick, he brought healing into their lives. That's the kingdom of heaven. He said, the kingdom of heaven is near, and he healed the sick. When people were feeling excluded, he brought welcoming inclusion. When people were in material need, he brought provision of daily bread. Where there was enmity, he brought reconciliation. Where there was death, he brought life. 
These are the things of the kingdom of heaven. It's not this arbitrary governing form. It's not this tapestry showing the lineage of the kingdom of Jesus, and this is why he's our king right now. It's experience. It always was experience. It always was activity. And you might not know God or know him very well, in which case you might be thinking, okay, that sounds like the kind of kingdom I want to experience. Or you might know God already, and in which case it might be that some of you are listening, or not, thinking that I've heard this before. So I want to press into this. How is it possible, because I'm speaking to myself on a lot of days here, that some of us who know Jesus, so we know the king, we've experienced him, which means that we've experienced the kingdom of heaven, and yet we're not automatically excited about the kingdom. How is it possible that some of us might be hearing this or thinking about this now and thinking, yeah, I do agree with that stuff, actually. Oh, yeah, do you know what? I've done some good teaching on the kingdom of heaven before, but I'm just not feeling kingdomy today. Just not feeling the kingdom of heaven. Or you go for a week and I say to you at the end of it, hey, how did you experience the kingdom of heaven this week? How did you feel? Do you know what? I didn't really experience the kingdom this week. It wasn't really like a kingdom week for me. It wasn't really, it feels like a few weeks in a row that I've not really had like a kingdom experience at church. Well, I think there are a couple of reasons. One is that I think we sometimes make the kingdom of heaven something that it's not. So if you've got confusion, it might be that there's some baggage around it. The kingdom of heaven isn't separate to your faith. Okay, That's what we see from Jesus. Jesus made that central to his teaching. The kingdom of heaven is central to your faith. It's not razzmatazz. I, you know, all the way through writing this, I thought I've got to find a better word than razzmatazz. And every time I do it, I do this as well. <laughs> it's not a warm and fuzzy feeling. It's not, I went to church six Sundays in a row, and on the seventh Sunday... When worship, I worship every week, and all of a sudden, bam, the Lord hit me. Like I felt this amazing feeling inside. My heart was beating really fast. My mouth was dry. My mouth is dry, razzmatazz. My skin was burning. That was the kingdom of God. That is the kingdom of God, but that's not the only time that it's the kingdom of God. You have to sometimes open your eyes to what it is. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ, even though he's never physically walked into the room, shaking your hand and say, hey, I'm the son of God. Do you want to follow me? You do? That's a miracle. That is supernatural. That's his kingdom at work in your lives. Have you ever prayed for provision in your life? Yes, you have, because at the beginning I got to all you pray, uh, give me today my daily bread. So you've, you've already prayed that one. Do you have daily bread? Yes, you do. Most of us are eating out with meat and veg. We've got a roof over our heads and clothes without holes in. That is a miracle. That's the provision of the Lord. That's his kingdom at work in our lives. Do you hear from God? Maybe you feel like you don't hear from God. Have you ever read the Bible? Do you know that the Bible is the word of God written down for you? He is communicating with you. That's a miracle. That's the kingdom of God. Sometimes it feels small. Sometimes it doesn't feel like this fuzzy feeling. Sometimes it does. But when it feels small, we have assurance because Jesus says, and I'd really encourage you to read everything that Jesus says about the kingdom in the gospel. He says that sometimes it's like a mustard seed, which even though it's the smallest seed, produces the biggest tree in the garden. Sometimes it feels small. Another reason why it sometimes happens that we don't feel like we're in the kingdom all the time is the answer to the question, when is the kingdom? So in the Bible, we're told that the kingdom is here, near and yet to come. So what is that about? Well, a little story for you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. So there's an element to which, clearly, God as creator is ruler. There's some level of kingship there already. And actually, in the beginning, when he made man and woman, Adam and Eve, they were in perfect relationship with Eden. And you could say that they were essentially in his kingdom. Now, Adam and Eve, as we all know, the first humans, they sinned. They disobeyed God. They made a decision to not be under his kingship. And it's interesting that at the beginning, I said it almost feels like a modern day thing that we're kind of like Republicans, we're anti-kingdoms, we don't really like the idea of that. Actually, since day one, humans have been fighting the very idea of kingship and authority over them. So they made that decision. And if you read the Old Testament, the story of humanity is that constantly God is saying to human beings, 
guys, I made you. I'm your king. I know what makes you tick. I know everything about you. Trust me, I want freedom for your life. The best thing to do for your life is to do this. And it's us saying, I don't want to do that. I don't really like kingship. No, go away from me. And then we get to the prophets in the Old Testament. And God started giving words to the prophets about someone who was going to come and change the game. And that one is Jesus. And in Isaiah, we're told... Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's what he said about Jesus. He told us, he told his prophets, who then wrote it down so we know that they were told, that God is going to come to earth as king. So he's going to reinstate his kingship. And then Jesus does come to earth. And what does Jesus do about the kingdom? He says to people, the kingdom of heaven is near to you. But we can see that by his actions, the kingdom of heaven actually was at hand, which is St. Kelsey says. And it was there. People were receiving it. He went to people. He said, are you sick? You are sick. Be healed. And people were healed. And he brought the kingdom to them. So the kingdom was already there. But then Jesus, at the end, we're also told, well, three years later, three years after Jesus started doing that, he made the ultimate sacrifice for the kingdom. He, uh, he died, and he took upon himself all the sin, all those wrong decisions that we've been making in disobeying God, so that God is able to look at us and see Jesus and say, you have a way now to the Father because you have been made righteous before us. But... That's not the end of it as well, because the Bible also tells us, all those old prophets, Jesus himself, Revelation, tells us that Jesus is coming again. And this is where the Jews got confused about Jesus, because they read all the prophecies about the coming king, and they thought that the king, the Messiah, would do all of them together. He'd do all of them in one time. So they were expecting Jesus to come, to build an army, and like those kingdoms we talked about earlier, to take territory back, to kill all the other kingdoms in the world. Now we're told that Jesus will come back a second time, and he will actually do that. And when he does that, we're going to be in a different place. We're given loads of information about what, what heaven, the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like at the end. We're told that lion will lay down with lamb, that beasts will no longer prey on each other. We're told that children will put their hands in the nests of vipers and they won't be harmed. We're told that there won't be sin. We're told that there won't be tears. We're told that people will beat their swords into plowshares because there won't be violence anymore. So clearly, we're not quite there as well. Something else for the kingdom is going to happen. First coming, Jesus coming on the cross, and then we've got the second coming. When we're at the second coming, there will be no more tears. There will be no more doubt about whether there is a kingdom. It says every other kingdom will fall. I mean, there's only 27 left anyway, not necessarily that they're being ticked down like that. Every kingdom will fall. Every knee will bow. It says when Jesus comes back a second time, he's going to come on the clouds and every eye will see him. So we'll know when he comes back, so don't worry about that. Everyone will see him. People will have... Um, We'll have to make that choice. This is where all those prophecies and the things that Jesus says uh, about the kingdom being about judgment day come into play as well. It says there'll be two people working in the field. One of them will be taken with Jesus. The other one will be left for an eternity without Jesus, which we also recognize um, as hell. Um, but there will be no doubt. But we're living in this kind of like area in between at the moment. So we're kind of like, well, Jesus has come once already. He's told us that the kingdom of heaven is near. In people's lives, the kingdom of heaven is here because it's through activity and it's through experience. If you've got faith, bang, that's the kingdom of heaven. If you're reading the word, recognizing that as the word of God, that's the kingdom of heaven in your life. If you're eating your daily bread, all that stuff. Um, but clearly we're not there yet. And you know, Jesus even said this to himself. He said, we get told, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but that, actually this is Paul, sorry. For, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then we shall fully know. That's where we live at the moment. He said that to his disciple Thomas, who only believed that Jesus had been raised when he saw Jesus physically and was allowed to touch the holes in his hands from the cross. He said, you believe because you have seen, but blessed are those who believe without having seen. That's us. That's the age we're living in. So why is it that we have off days from the kingdom of heaven? Why is it we don't feel like we always live in the kingdom? Because it's near, but sometimes it's close, not close enough. 
And we know what I'm talking about this, right? Even though uh, I'm going to push on in this in a second, we recognize that there are times where you feel like plodding through, and then there are times where you do have that big, that big feeling. Times where you recognize the provision in your life is from God, and other days where you go for weeks thinking, I've not heard anything from God, even though I've been reading his Bible. I think it was last week I was chief steward, and uh, Gav prayed for me, just randomly put his hand on me and prayed for me. And I felt my spirit quicken, and it put me in a really good mood for like two or three hours. I wasn't in a bad mood before that. It wasn't like magical voodoo, that's not what it is. I was still experiencing the kingdom of God beforehand, but I felt the spirit palpable on me. We know, we know that there are different times where you feel closer to the kingdom of heaven and times where you feel less close to it. So is that it? Do we just accept it? Do we just try and get prayed by Gav as frequently as we can? Do we just say, today was a, or last Sunday was a kingdom moment for me? Oh, hallelujah, Joe, last week, last week was a kingdom moment for me and I really needed it. Or like, oh, I need some kingdom in my life. Or, hey, are you feeling spiritually dry? You should try and get some kingdom in your life. You're probably not going to get it from church because that's like a regular thing. So what you want to do is every, you know, a couple of months or something, go to a conference and there you'll get some kingdom. Do you feel like you've not experienced the kingdom for years or maybe you'd even forgotten how to define it? But that's okay, because I'm just looking now in this dim, cloudy mirror. We're in this between land. That's why it happens. I've got some great news for you. If your life reflects that of the earthly kingdom of sickness, boredom, disaffection, you don't have to settle. If you don't know Jesus already, you can come into his kingdom of heaven today. We're told that if you receive Jesus in your heart and you proclaim it with your mouth, you are saved. But similarly, if you're a Christian already and you're feeling spiritually dry, or if you're feeling, even though I've just said this stuff, I still don't feel like I've experienced the kingdom for years, or maybe you don't feel like you ever have, you can do so today. What I don't want to do is look at this and accept that we're in this middle ground, which means, oh, I'm always chasing for the kingdom, but there are only bits of it here and there, like spotlight, like this guy seems to get the kingdom all the time, but I miss it. But that's okay, because I'm just living in this kind of like cloudy between zone. Here's the thing. Here's the verse that really struck me about this. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. It says... If anyone is in Christ, which means a Christian, that's one of the ways that the Bible refers to being a Christian. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. The new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Just as God looks on us now, and if we've received Jesus as Saviour, he sees Jesus, he sees his sinless life, he says, you are totally free, you've got a way to the Father. That is our old selves dying. Our old selves have been crucified on the cross with Jesus. That's what Jesus did for us when he got crucified for our sins. But just as that's the case, Jesus was also resurrected into new life, and he resurrects us into new life as well. If the kingdom of heaven has come into your life, that's what being a citizen is about. It is a different life. When you experience it as this activity, it's not being told, hey, here's your postcode, you're now a member of the kingdom of heaven. It's being given this experience, this activity, this relationship, you stop living in sin and hurt and pain and you start experiencing the joy and the good news of the kingdom. Guys, I speak this to myself because I spend too many days where I don't live in victory, where I live in defeat. There are too many days in the week, normally, when I wake up early, my daughter wakes me up, we spend an hour and a half getting her ready, then I drop her off at nursery, then I drop off my wife at work, then I'm walking into work thinking, I've got so much to do and I need to get my mind into it. And after this, I've got some meetings after we pick up Tegan and put her down to bed. And it's only Monday. And do you know what? I didn't get enough rest this weekend because I had meetings on as well. And I just think there is no way that I could speak to one of my colleagues about something meaningful, let alone about God, let alone believe that they are going to be saved, let alone believe that I could be involved in saying to someone, hey, the kingdom of heaven is here, is near. And how do I know that? Because the kingdom of heaven is in me and you can experience it too. 
And what am I doing in those moments? What am I waiting for? Because I look at Jesus and think Jesus was under way more pressure than me. I'm looking after one kid. For Jesus, every relationship must have been looking after a kid. And yet he was so able to say to people, the kingdom of heaven is near and I can prove it. So what am I doing? I'm almost like trying to activate that Jesus thing in me on a Monday morning. And what am I thinking? I'm thinking, oh, do you know what it is? What I probably needed to do was spend more time praying this weekend. I need to get my weekend sorted so that I pray more, so that I read the Bible more. And what I need to do is I need to fast and I need to strategize about which of my colleagues I'm going to say what to. And then I need to be accountable about it in my free. And in my group, we need to have this big prayer session to build me up. And then on a Monday morning, I'd be rocking. No, that's not what it's about. The miracle has already happened. If you've experienced the kingdom of God, that's where you are, guys. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. What are we waiting for? John Piper says, we are not trying to be children of God or get into God's favor. We are in his favor, rock solid through faith in Christ. If on that Monday morning I was like, I am a child of God in God's favor, then I might have the courage to say to people, the kingdom of heaven is near. I am a child of God in his favor. Glenn Scrivener says, we don't build God's kingdom, we receive it. We don't build or establish the kingdom. It's always going from heaven to earth. We just need to receive it. I don't need to activate it. I don't need to spend all weekend with this like two-day strategy about how I'm going to be bang on form on Monday. I don't need to do less stuff necessarily. Well, I probably do. I don't need to do less stuff on a Monday to like sharpen the things I am going to do and do them really well. That's not what it's about. So great. You're now all thinking as your spirits quicken. I didn't know. Maybe we should be regularly asking for this if that's all it takes. Yes, we should. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. What's going on in your life right now? Are you going through hard times? God's kingdom come to you. Are you well fed? Are you well provisioned? Are you joyful? God's kingdom come to you. Do you not know Jesus yet? The kingdom of God come to you in your household today. Do you know God but you feel spiritually dry? God's kingdom come to you. I said that God's kingdom isn't razzmatazz already, but I want us to be excited about this because we need to be genuinely excited about this. How can we look at this and not be excited? But there is a serious side to praying it as well. If you didn't know before, I've already said that God's kingdom isn't just a matter of governance. It's not just the organisation of Jesus Christ Incorporated. And if you didn't know before, there is a second, bigger fulfilment of the kingdom, where the kingdom will be here on earth. And we'll go through judgment day. And there are so many parables about the kingdom that talk about that. They talk about a master coming back. Will you find faithful servants? Have you been faithful or have you not? Because at that day, you won't be able to make the choice anymore. At the moment, my friends and family, who aren't members of the kingdom of heaven, they have that choice every day. Except, do they, if on a Monday I'm feeling, I can't say to them, the kingdom of heaven is near. It's serious if we're praying this. If we're praying this, ultimately we're praying, finish it. Jesus, come back. I want your kingdom in my life today. If you're not coming back today, I want to experience your kingdom today. But ultimately, I want you to come back. And sometimes that feels scary because we don't spend much time investing about what the future looks like. And because, you know, we're never going to quite know insofar as God says he's put eternity on our hearts. But it's it's a little bit confusing for us. But we know that it's good. We've just looked at all those prophecies about uh, about what the new heaven and the earth will be. And that's what we're praying ultimately. So it's serious for us to pray that. And we should be motivated by that. We should be motivated by praying for Jesus to come back and for all hurt and all sin to be at an end. But in the meantime, we want to see as many people as possible get through that door. My favourite parable, though, about the kingdom of heaven that Jesus gives 
actually gives two, but are pretty similar, but I think I'll just say one, which is in Matthew 13. He says, the king of heaven is like, is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Great, great, great. It's a really short one. The next one's really similar. It's about a man who sees a pearl, sells everything he has and buys that pearl. Great. They're really short. They're in the middle of it. What does it mean? Are we applying it? What does it mean? Are we applying it? Is that how you feel about the kingdom of heaven? Did you come in this morning, before today? You might not have thought about the kingdom of heaven for ages. You might have thought that stuff. You might have thought it's just about governance. You might have thought it's irrelevant. You might have thought it's nothing to do with me. I'm not interested in politics. It's not. I'm telling you that it's central to God's message. We need to be like this. This is the excitement of the tenacity we need to have about the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean? Are you, I mean, are you selling stuff? What am I, how does that even look? It's not like I can physically buy a treasure. I've already received it, haven't I? I'm already a child of God. I have, but on Monday morning, I could sell anything for it. I could sell my dignity by going and telling someone at work for kingdom of heaven is near. I could sell my fear of man that is stopping me from doing that. I could sell my weekend. I could spend, I could sell the time that I'm using on myself. I could sell physical goods so that I've got money. I could sell my idea that I was going to buy this, I know, this holiday in my life and spend the money on something for the kingdom instead. There's anything you can sell, but we've got to be like this. Are we like this? Jesus said repent and believe when he talked about the kingdom of heaven at the beginning, and I've said that. A lot of repenting sometimes gets bound up again in sin and feels like this whoosh kind of word. Oh, it's a really difficult one. But actually repenting just means turning about. It means changing your way. And there's so much freedom in it. Bill Johnson says of repenting, he talks about it like financial debt. He says that repenting shouldn't just get you out of the red. It should also get you into the black. That's what it should do. If we're selling stuff... God, I want to sell my fear of man that stops me from telling people at work that the kingdom of heaven is near. That won't just get me, oh, I'm out of debt. I mean, I don't know what I'll do when, that, when the, you know, the invoice comes in next month. That should get me into the black. That should get me into the kingdom. I've sold something, so that now I'm that step closer to buying the kingdom in every area of my life. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, it says. And then all of your, uh, that's when he's talking about um, him providing for you. Everything will be provided for you. So you can sell. Sell your worry about providing for yourself. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I just wanted to say something quickly. I'm, I'm saying much less on the second part because I feel like it ties in on his will being done on heaven as it is on earth. I think if our, if our struggle with praying your kingdom come is that we were confused about what that means and what the kingdom is. I think the issue we sometimes have with praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is that it kind of feels like if I didn't pray, it would still happen anyway, so what's the point of me praying it? It feels a little bit like, okay, I can pray it. God, if you're going to do something, then you should do it. But actually, well, there are two kinds of will, basically, for God. And one of them is almost like a destiny will. And, and that is that kind of thing. So God will the heavens and the being, and heavens and the earth into creation. Nothing was going to stop that. You could have prayed what you like. You could have prayed, well, people went around because obviously he created it. He willed, he willed that his son was going to die on the cross for our sins. That was going to happen. You could have prayed either way. That was going to happen. He wills that Jesus is going to come back a second time. That is going to happen. But there's nothing bad with praying yes to that stuff, I think. I think there's something about humility, there's something about recognising that we don't like this idea of submission and authority and recognising that actually we're part of the kingdom of God. When we say, God, I I might not know exactly what you're going to do, but God, do it because I know that you're good. You know, I didn't like the result of that election. God, your will be done on this earth. I know you've got it in hand. I trust you. I know you've got it in hand. And we do know some stuff. We know that Jesus is coming back. God, bring Jesus back. 
I pray that you would establish your kingdom for once and all. So that's his destiny will. But there's also a second kind of will, which is his will as a command. So God's will is for everyone to be saved, but not everyone is going to be saved. God's will for your life is that you'll be sanctified. Sanctified means being made holy and pure, basically not sinning. Did anyone sin yesterday? I didn't because I was preparing for today, but I'm going to make up for it later. Um, You broke the will of God, okay? There's the will of God as a command, which is basically disobeyed all the time. So we can pray for that too, can't we? Because it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, we're told that there'll be no sin, and basically God's will, both his destiny and his command, will always come to fruition. So if we're praying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're basically saying, done and done. So we can pray for that too. God, save my family. God, I know that they want to disobey you, but God, save my family. Your will be done in heaven and on earth. I I pray your will as a command as you would in heaven where it cannot be disobeyed. God, sanctify me. Keep me from sin. God, my flesh is so desperate to sin all the freaking time. Keep me from it. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So for us, this means that this can't be a passive prayer. Neither of these can be passive prayers. The first one, we've got to want to step in and open our eyes to what the kingdom of God might be. And we've got to recognise that it means ultimately that Jesus is coming back and all the people you know who don't know Jesus yet, who aren't citizens of the kingdom of heaven, are going to wish that they've made that choice and we're going to wish, man. But similarly, not passive prayer is praying, your will be done. It means we have to expand our views on what being in relationship with God means for our lives. For some people, I've done this before, prayer is like a personal shopping list. God. I want this career. God, please give me this promotion. God, please may I get married to this person. God, please may my kids get into this school. God, please help us to afford this holiday. God, I'm in this difficult situation. Get rid of that person. And sometimes praying these prayers aren't bad of themselves. But if those are the only kind of prayers you pray, then you're kind of praying, my will be done. My will be done. God, my will be done. We recognise that we're in this now but not quite yet period. And we're told so much about how difficult it's going to be. If those are the only prayers you pray, what do you make of these next two verses? From Acts, which says, We must face many hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. Or for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. How do you process them if you're only ever praying for good stuff to happen? God's will for your life is ultimately freeing. We've just learned that. He wants you to experience the kingdom of heaven. His kingdom is one of experience, one of activity. It's exciting. I want to be in it. If you don't feel like you've experienced it before or not for ages, jump in the river today. Let's do it. Come on, let's pray for that. Let God open our eyes to where we're already experiencing the kingdom. But until his kingdom comes for good, we have to recognise that we're going to go through times that are difficult. We have to recognise praying, your will be done, doesn't mean as long as it's good for me. Sometimes it means it's going to be difficult for us too. Consider it pure joy, brothers, the Bible says, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What does that mean if we, don't, if we don't accept that? Do you ever pray in your dark times, God, your will be done? Why not resolve, if you're in good times in your life at the moment, next time you go through something difficult, pray to get out of it by all means, but pray, God, your will be done. Don't just say, I want out of this, Lord, fix this problem, get rid of it. I don't, know, I don't care how you do it, God, get me out of this unpleasant season. But why not also pray, God, your will be done? Are you going through a dark time right now? Why not risk to take that prayer right now? Because there is one who knows what it means to pray your will be done during dark times. 
There is one who experienced the kingdom of heaven to such a great degree and one who brings the kingdom of heaven with him. Jesus, whilst in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew his whole life that he'd been working towards this moment, knew that he was going to be crucified, and he knew that during that period of crucifixion he was going to be separated from God. And he said, God, if you're willing, please take this cup for me. I don't want to have to go through it. But not my will be done, but yours. How do we enter God's kingdom? Give Jesus your heart's loyalty. Let Jesus reshape your life. Receive forgiveness from him. Identify with his concerns. Love him without reserve. Give his claims precedence. How do we pray your will be done? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him who on the night that he was betrayed, knowing that he was going to be betrayed, knowing what he had to go through, made that ultimate sacrifice for the kingdom of God and said, God, not my will, but yours be done. Who took the bread and said, this is my body, broken for you, eat of this in remembrance of me. This is my blood shed for you, drink this in remembrance of me. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.